great. We are starting a new series today on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. But before I get to that, can I, can I ask everyone a, a, a small favor? A small favor. Can I ask you to pray for our staff team? As you saw, we have a young staff team, and I'm excited about that because they have ideas and, and energy and excitement, right? But can I ask you to be the Barnabas and maybe come alongside our young staff team and pray for them and support them and encourage them in their roles? I'll tell you right now, we'll make mistakes, 100%, but can I ask you to come alongside of them support them, find ways in which you can pray for them and encourage them and help them in their new roles as well. Can we try to do that? Yes, thank you, church. I know you have been so supportive in so many different ways and I know in this uh, new season that you'll continue to do that as well. So we're starting this series uh, on the seven churches found in Revelation chapters two and three. Uh, and these seven churches were located in modern day Turkey, okay? Now these messages that were written about 2,000 years ago, they're still relevant for us today. And we can learn from what was said to them. And so I've titled this series, Listen to the Spirit, because at the end of each of these messages to these seven churches, it concludes with, listen to the Spirit. Seven times you hear that phrase, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit. So here, I'm gonna ask you to do one thing which most times preachers don't ask you to do. Don't listen to Daniel. but listen to the Spirit speaking to you this Sunday and in the Sundays to come. Listen to God's Spirit speaking through the Word of God. Listen to God's Spirit convicting, inspiring, um, challenging you to take steps in your spiritual life and examine your spiritual life as well. And if you're here for the first time or you're here as, a, as somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus or is just exploring and trying to find out more about Jesus, thank you for, for coming, first of all. And we're excited that you're here. And if you're watching online, thank you so much. And we hope that you will listen to the Spirit of God speaking to you, calling you, drawing you uh, to himself through this series. Uh, but two specific things as we journey through this whole series, two specific things that I'd like you to do. Number one Examine your own personal life and ask yourself the question, how does this apply to me, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, as these were messages given to those churches, let's look at it corporately for us at Unionville Alliance Church in this season as well. And ask yourself the question, how does this apply to us at Unionville Alliance Church? and my role within Unionville Alliance Church. How can I respond in a corporate sense? How can I respond from the side of the church? I, I trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and convict us personally, but let's be open to the Lord speaking to us and convicting us and changing us as a church together as well. Now, this is a great time to join a life group uh, and connect with others and journey uh, uh, through this series as our life groups will be discussing this series as well. So if you'd like to join a life group, connect with Les Miata, one of our elders. He's also our life group coordinator. He'll be able to plug you into a life group. And if you want, download the life group questions uh, on our website and go through some of those things uh, as a means of digging deeper into the message as well. Also, we offer Right Now Media. You can, everyone can get a free subscription. It's like the Netflix it's like the Bible study Netflix, right? 
tons of things that are on there. You can stream to your heart's content, right? And the same way you, you, know, you click next on Netflix, you, know, you can click next on Right Now Media as well. And there are a number of studies there on the seven churches, and I encourage you to listen to some of those as well as we journey through this. And I won't be able to cover everything on a Sunday morning. I'll just be touching on a few different things. But through Right Now Media, you can listen to some other studies on the seven churches from different perspectives and different angles and hopefully be enriched in a deeper way. Now, each of these messages follow a, a, a similar format. It starts off with the revelation of Jesus, then it goes to a commendation of good things or, and or a rebuke of negative things. Then there's a, a, a remedy and a call to repentance that's given to, to each church. Um, and there's also a judgment and or reward. And so we'll sort of follow this, this outline uh, as we go through each of these churches and sort of see some of these things that the Lord is speaking. But before that, let me just give you a little bit of a history of the church uh, in Ephesus. So as you can see from this image, uh, it's a little bit smaller, but you can see the seven churches that are listed there. And this is a big picture overview to see where these churches are in terms of this is Asia or what was known at that time, Asia Minor or Western part of Asia. And a little bit closer, you can see Ephesus there, which was really a port city, okay? It was a center for travel and commerce. It was at the mouth of the uh, Castia River, uh, and it was one of the greatest seaports in the ancient world. It was considered, uh, Ephesus was considered the gateway to Asia because of its trade routes, uh, because of it being a port city. Uh, it was a well-known city that was, that was growing. It was also known for its worship of Artemis, okay, and there was even a temple. Now, this is a reconstruction of what the temple probably looked like during its time, but the, the city of Ephesus, they were known for their idol worship and specifically for their worship of Artemis, or also known as Diana. You'll read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 19. You'll read a, a little bit about what was happening there and the big uproar and riot that took place. And so this was what the temple of Artemis or Diana looked like. And it was huge. This was probably about four times the size of the Greek pantheon, right? And so it was, it was a huge, uh, sorry, the Parthenon. It was a huge like structure that people would come and worship. But now it basically looks like this, just in rubbles and ruins, right? Another thing that was actually there was there was a huge amphitheater uh, that was there, and this is what it looks like now. Uh, and in Acts chapter 19, as I mentioned, there's this big uproar and everything, and they were all chanting, great is Diana of the Ephesians, or great is Artemis of, of the Ephesians. Well, this is probably the place where it, took, where, where it happened, right? Where Paul was uh, dragged and they were really upset at him and everything. This amphitheater seats about 24,000 people uh, there. Another significant thing that, that was there was the Library of Celsus, and this was in the early part uh, of um, around 100 AD or so, um, and it was actually the third largest uh, library in the Roman world. It had probably approximately about 12,000 scrolls at that time. So it goes to show you that the, the, the Ephesians, they were intellectuals. They prided themselves on uh, being able to study, being able to learn, being up to date in what was actually uh, going on, and they had this big library that was there. Some say that, that at its peak, Ephesus was probably only second to Rome when it came to culture and commerce. It was such a big, bustling, and thriving uh, city. It was a cosmopolitan center um, in the ancient world uh, at that time. When, when Augustus became emperor in 27 BC, so just shortly before the time of Christ and, sh and a little bit before these letters were written as well, uh, Ephesus became the capital of Asia Minor, and that 
initiated just this, this new era of prosperity uh, for Ephesus because it became a center of commerce and influence, uh, and the governor was there as well uh, in Ephesus. And so there was a lot of things going on in this, in this city. Now, coming back to a little bit of just biblical history of the, the church in Ephesus, Paul visited Ephesus in his second mis- missionary journey, but in his third missionary journey, he actually spent about two to three years there, which was a long time for Paul to stay. You know, he was an itinerant person. You know, he couldn't stay still. He got too restless, right? Or the spirit was moving him, go here and go there, right? So for Paul to stay two to three years in one place was quite significant, but he stayed there and he taught in a, he rented a place called the School of Tyrannus and that's where he taught in, in Acts 19 verse 10, it talks about how all of Asia heard the word of God because Paul was teaching at the school. It was a very, again, the city of Ephesus was quite an influential place and so all of Asia started to hear about the gospel because Paul was preaching and teaching in this place, the school of Tyrannus. And so it's quite significant to understand because Paul, he understood the importance of urban centers. He understood the importance of cities. He understood the importance of teaching in those places because those people would take that word of God and would spread it out and go to rural parts and other areas. And so he concentrated, if you see the missionary journeys of Paul, he, he really concentrated on big cities and Ephesus, of course, being one of the biggest cities uh, of the ancient world. And, and Paul did some very notable miracles there, which gained him some notoriety as well. They would take, you know, they would take a, a handkerchief of Paul and touch it, you know, on somebody and that person would be healed. Can you imagine that? It's like if I pulled out my mask and said, here, you know, touch it on somebody, it'll be healed. You'd be thinking, Daniel's crazy, but that's what happened to Paul, right? They pulled out, you know, uh, handkerchiefs and he, pr- and, and like um, notable miracles, notable healings that took place. And his ministry was so successful uh, that there came a time when the people that practiced magic and pagan rituals, uh, they brought their books there and they had a big bonfire and burned all their books and pagan uh, worship and all of these things because multitudes of people were turning to Jesus. They saw the light of Christ. They saw the beauty of the gospel as Paul was teaching and preaching and explaining to them this is what the hope of Jesus is. And as he was doing all of those things, people said, hey, I'm gonna burn my my." my magic and pagan rituals, and it was a sign of repentance, a turning away from the old way and turning towards God in newness of life. And with the number of people that were turning to Jesus, the idol makers got scared. So there was a, it was a big industry. Idolatry was a big industry uh, there. So they had people that they would craft idols out of gold and, and silver and brass and all of those things, and that's the way they earned their livelihood, and they, they earned a living that way. But then all, all of a sudden, Paul comes around and says, here, here's the way to the living God. You don't need to be worshiping these idols. You can worship the living and true God who's not made with hands. He's the living God that's existed from eternity past to eternity future. Come and worship the Lord. People experience the love of Jesus, experience the saving grace of God, and they say, well, why do I need these idols? And so they got rid of them, but then the idol makers, they were losing their livelihood. And so that's when you had this big uproar in the book of Acts and at that, uh, at that uh, amphitheater that I showed you a picture of, uh, you know, they were really upset. Now, Paul stayed there for about two to three years uh, in Ephesus, but later on as he left and in another missionary journey, he actually called the elders of Ephesus to uh, a place called Miletus, uh, where he gave his final goodbye to the elders in Ephesus. And if you read there, you can read it uh, later on in the book of Acts, there he talks about how uh, they should persevere, they should stay faithful, they should guard the flock. He says there's gonna be coming a time when there'll be false teachers that come in, be careful. I'm mentioning that specifically because as we read the letter, we'll see the significance 
significance of that. As Paul exhorts the elders, watch over the flock, be careful, take care of the sheep, right? He tells them of things in a very prophetic way of things actually that would come. And he shares the message of grace uh, with them. And so Ephesus was really an important city in the early, Christ- in early Christian evangelism. In, in the early Christian church, Ephesus was quite important. Now, probably about a decade after Paul originally visited Ephesus, more or less, probably about a decade, is when Paul writes the letter to the church in Ephesus, right, which we call Ephesians, right, the book of Ephesians. That was written by Paul to this church in Ephesus, probably about a decade or so that was um, a decade or so after his first initial visit to to Ephesus, and probably about 40 years or so, more or less, uh, before this letter in Revelation is written to the church in Ephesus. So a lot of things that Paul is saying uh, in his letter to Ephesus is quite significant because he encourages them uh, and he says to stay devout in their faith and he talks about sharing the gospel. He talks about growing in love, which is quite significant because we'll see the fault of this church about 40 years later where they're actually failing in some areas. Now, in one of Paul's other letters to Timothy, Actually, in 1 Timothy, Paul actually instructs Timothy to stay in Ephesus because Paul is saying, hey, there's some teachers there that are teaching some crazy things, some wrong doctrine. So Timothy, can you just hang out in Ephesus for a little bit longer and make sure these people don't teach these crazy things, teach the right things the way that I've taught you, you teach them as well, um, Timothy, and so please, you know, just watch over these people. And tradition actually says that the apostle John, the apostle of love, Right? The Apostle John actually ended up moving to Ephesus and became the pastor there at Ephesus. And uh, as he was the pastor there at Ephesus, he actually, again, this is what scholars say, it's not 100% for sure, uh, but 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was probably written from Ephesus while John was the pastor uh, there in Ephesus as he wrote these letters to the scattered believers throughout Asia Minor, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And it's, it's significant to know that John's ministry was there in Ephesus because John is known as the apostle of love. If you read the gospel of John, if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll see this, this dominant theme of love, yet the fault of this church, if you read ahead or if you saw the subtitle of the message, is that it was the loveless church, right? They had left their first love, and so that's significant. So Let's just dive into this letter real quickly, okay? So the first part is the revelation of Jesus, right? And in Revelation 2 verse 1, it talks about that. I'm going to go a little bit quickly here because uh, in your life groups, you'll study some of this, and I hope that you'll go home and study some of this on your own as well because, again, we can't cover everything uh, uh, this morning. Now, he writes to the angel of the church, and this angel could represent the pastor or leader or elder or overseer of the church. He's writing to this, the person that's watching over the church so that person can help to get the church, you know, ship-shaped up, right? Um, And so Jesus reveals himself here as walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and holding the seven stars in his right hand. And in the previous chapter, in Revelation 1, verse 20, we get an idea of what this actually means. The stars represent the angels of those churches or the overseers, the elders, the, the leaders of those churches, and they're held in the hand of the Lord. Not this hand, this hand, the right hand of the Lord, right? They're held in the right hand of the Lord and he's keeping them and holding them up. The golden lampstands speak about the church. And so Jesus is walking in the midst of those golden lampstands, speaking about how the presence of Jesus is in the midst of the church and the stars representing the overseers or the leaders, they're held in the right hand of the Lord. In in Isaiah, we read this verse, how it talks about how the Lord upholds us with his victorious right hand, right? So 
This is just the revelation of Jesus. Jesus is there. He's walking. He's there. He's listening. He's seeing. He's working. He's doing. He's strengthening. He's upholding. He's doing all of these things. Now, they're commended for a lot of good things, right? Now, as we look at some of these things, and as we go through this whole series, you should, we should ask ourselves the question, if Jesus were to write a church, write a letter to Unionville Alliance Church, what would he say? Would we want to read that letter? Elders, would we want to read that letter? I don't know, right? Might be a little bit tough, right? As these guys are about to, you know, Jesus softens the blow a little bit, you know? He commends them for a number of good things. And so he, he talks about some of the good things here. He says here in, in, chapter, in verses 2 and 3, he commends them for a number of good things. They were full of good works, right? So they were doing a number of great ministries. They were doing a number of good things. Uh, they were laboring for the Lord in various areas, and the Lord was very pleased with that. Um, they had patience to see the work of God accomplished, and, and they had patience one with another, and the Lord, Lord saw that, and he was commending them uh, for that. They didn't permit evil in the church, right? They, they saw false apostles and false teachers, and they loved the truth. They actually loved theology a lot, so if I go back, Remember that big library that they had? These guys were, you know, pretty intellectuals, right? And remember that Timothy was sent back by Paul and said, hey, Timothy, get these guys in line. And even before that, Paul spent two to three years teaching in Ephesus. So Paul had made significant investment into teaching theology to this church, right? And so they actually were doing really well. And Jesus realized that and said, hey, you've recognized false teachers. You've recognized false apostles. And good for you church in Ephesus for doing that, right? They endured suffering for the sake of Christ. For the name of Christ, they served the Lord. Uh, they didn't become discouraged because of the way, but they persevered and they kept going, you know, going through it. And they actually were living very counterculturally because of so much idol worship in the city. You had this big temple of Artemis, right? And so many people worshiping and idol makers there. And there were other idols as well and other people that they would worship. Uh, Artemis was just the one that was the most famous and the biggest one that was there. But there was other things that were going on there. And so the, the church there in Ephesus had to live very intentionally and very counterculturally because what they were doing, they were pushing back against a lot of the false teachings. Even in verse 6, he talks about how they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, I'm not going to go into that now because actually the Lord talks about this theology and doctrine in another letter, and so we'll talk about that in another letter to another church. But just to understand and know, these guys were on point with their Bible, right? They knew their theology. They knew how to recognize wrong teaching. But then we get to the rebuke, right? We get to the uh, we get to the rebuke, and Jesus had a problem with them. And he says here in verse four, but I have this complaint against you, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, this is pretty strong, right? What if the spirit of the Lord, are you listening? Are you listening to the spirit? What if the spirit of the Lord were to tell us? You don't love me like you used to love me. Actually, you don't even love others like you used to love others. There's something really wrong here, right? See, the problem with this church is that they look so good outwardly. They were full of good works. They were doing some amazing things, right? They were actually reaching all of Asia because the Bible says that the word of God went forth from Ephesus all throughout that area. They were doing some really good things. Outwardly, they look really good but they had lost their first love. They'd lost that love and devotion 
to Jesus that they had before. And it's quite interesting that Jesus would point this out, especially given John's influence over the church in Ephesus as the apostle of love and as the, a person who would have pastored there for a number of years, these people actually left their first love. And Jesus spoke of this happening in the last days. In Matthew 24, it says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Friends, as we look at ourselves personally, individually, has our love grown cold? As we look at ourselves as Unionville Alliance Church corporately, has our love grown cold? Have we become complacent? Have we become just motion, motion, motion and not really motivated by love? In Matthew 22, a person comes and asks uh, Jesus about what, the, what is the greatest and most important commandment in the law of Moses. And this is what Jesus replied. Jesus, what's the greatest and most important commandment? Here's the answer. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's pretty hefty, right? Love is so important. If I can say this, there are really two visions of this church. There's two aspects of this church. One seen by men that they were full of good works and doing so many wonderful and amazing things. And two, seen by God that they had actually left their first love. They had a lot of theology and understanding, but they had left their first love. Now, I'm not against theology and, and understanding and learning. I have a theology degree. I'm not against any of those things. But theology without love amounts to nothing. Theology and intellectualism and understanding all those things without being motivated and pushed by the love of God in everything that we do leads to nothing. Is it possible to do a lot of great things without love? Yes, that's what this church was doing, right? Even Paul in, his, in Ephesians chapter 6, the last verse in Ephesians chapter 6 is, may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul commended them to the love of God. Right? Here's a scary verse. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but this is in the Bible, so I have to talk about it. Matthew 7, verse 22 and verse 23. Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. They were filled with so many good works and doing some amazing things. But then he says, I don't know you. Friends, we could be doing so many wonderful and great things, but if it's not motivated by love, if it's not spurred by love, if it's not pushed by love, if love is not our motivating and driving factor in what we do, then it amounts to nothing. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as a chapter of love. It's a beautiful chapter. If you, you, know, if you want a chapter to memorize, this is the chapter to memorize. Verse 3 says, if I, give, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. Okay, so let me get this straight here. So if I give all my money to the poor, I empty out all, my, all I have in my savings and my RSPs and this and that. I give my house and my car and everything I give away to the poor. And I give my body, I'll die for anybody as well too. But I don't have love it's nothing? Well, yeah, that's what Paul says here. And do you know what? First Corinthians, we're reading here, 
was probably written, do you know from where? From Ephesus. So this actually, 1 Corinthians 13 might have actually been like a Wednesday night Bible study for the church in, in Corinth, and Paul working through some of this theology, and he was teaching the church probably in Ephesus about these things, and hey, all this stuff is happening, you know, in, in Corinth, I gotta write a letter, you know, to Corinth, and so as he's teaching this stuff to the church in Ephesus, and he's doing all these things, more than likely this letter, 1 Corinthians, was written during that two to three years that Paul spent in Ephesus, and so it was probably like a Bible study. Maybe it was a Sunday message. Paul preaching, you have to have love. That's a good idea. Let me write that to Ephesus as well. Right? Or write that to Corinth as well, sorry, as he was preaching in Ephesus. What are some signs that we, we, we're not in, in first love? Maybe we're, we're always murmuring and complaining. Maybe we're discontent with God's blessing. Maybe we're always finding fault with other people. Maybe we're having our own pity party feeling sorry for ourselves, we're not willing to make a sacrifice for God, maybe we become easily discouraged or offended, and thereby holding on to bitterness and offenses and unforgiveness. Maybe there's no desire for prayer or reading of God's word or even coming to the house of God. Maybe other things in our life are taking the priority instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe all of these things are actually pointing towards the fact that, hey, we could do a bunch of things, but we don't really love God. We need to repent. And maybe there's other things you can discuss in your life groups. How do you keep loving God and loving others? Don't let our love get stagnant, but let it keep growing and working. Look at these beautiful verses, four to seven. Again, this might have been a Bible study in Ephesus, and he was trying to tell them about it, and he's like, great idea, I'm going to write this to Corinth because they've got a bunch of problems. I better let them know about love as well. Look what he says here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Isn't that beautiful? Now, as I'm reading this, I'm like, fail, 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 fail. But maybe we need to repent and ask the Lord, Lord, make my love patient. Make my love kind. Lord, make my love be the motivation for conquering injustice. There's so many things in this passage we don't have time to go, go over, but I encourage you to take time to read that. Because I think the church in Ephesus probably got the first version of this in encouraging the church to be motivated by love. And years later, decades later, unfortunately, they failed and their theology didn't work out to practical action. Their theology was just theology. Man, they're great teachers. They're the Apostle Paul, they're Timothy, they're John. Like, who else do you want? But it was all head knowledge. It produced a lot of good things on the outward, but inward it, didn't, it wasn't motivated by love. Now, if you're here for the first time and you're listening to all this and you're not a believer in Jesus, Thank you again for, for coming, and if you're watching online, thank you. Jesus wants you to experience his love. He wants you to experience the transforming power of his love that causes us 
to live in radical, transformative ways. And so what's the remedy? It's the call to repentance. This is what Jesus says here in, in verse five. He says, look how far you've fallen, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. So here's a question. He gives us a few steps here. He says, look how far you've fallen, examine your life and say, okay, how far have I gotten from when I used to really love God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind when I was in first love with Jesus? He says, repent and turn back and do those first things that you used to do. Can I ask you a question? When, if you look back in your life, for those that have been walking with Jesus for some time, when you look back at your life, when was probably the, the time in your life that you were most in love with Jesus or the most on fire for Jesus or the most dedicated to do anything that Jesus would ask you to do? Think about that. If you ask me that question, I'll tell you right away. 17, best year of my life. When I look back and I think how much I loved God at that time, how much I was devoted, how much I was willing to sacrifice anything for Jesus at that time. And I look at that and say, I need to go back to that time. I need to repent. I need to ask the Lord to help me to go back to that first love. Do you remember a time in your life like that? When you were more in love with Jesus than you are now? When you sacrificed for him? When you, you shared the gospel at every opportunity that you had with everybody who you came in contact with? You served the Lord with zeal and sacrifice? You loved reading the word of God? You looked forward to times of prayer? You got excited about coming to church? Let's examine our hearts and our lives and see if we've fallen away from the Lord and turned back to him in love, whether that's personally or corporately as well. We can get so wrapped up in our own lives. We, we live in such a consumer mentality, right? We, we look out for our own good and our own comfort and what I can get out of this. I want this and I want that. And by doing that, we lose first love. Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, the motivation or the, the, the result of love is giving. God so loved the world that he gave. But, but we live in a culture and society, and, and sadly, it's crept into the church as well, where it's not about giving, but it's about gaining. We live in a consumeristic mentality. What can I gain? What can I get? If I come to church, what are you going to do for me? What program are you going to run for me? What are you going to do for this? Or if I go to a life group, what, what can I get out of this? Or if I go to do this program, if I help this person, what am I going to get from this? And instead of looking at what we can give and contribute and serve and pour into others, so many times we're looking out for our own benefit. That's the total opposite of what love is. Because love gives. Now, Jesus also talks about a judgment here. He says in verse 5, If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. And so what he's saying here is that, hey, ch at church in Ephesus you got to ship shape up right away because if not, I'm going to remove your light. I'm going to remove your place of influence in the city. I'm going to remove your ability to shine for the Lord. I'm going to take this church away. You need to repent and turn to the Lord. If you look at the example of Saul in the Old Testament, right? King Saul, God gave him a beautiful and wonderful opportunity to be king over Israel and serve the people of God. And sadly, at one point in time, he strayed away from that motivation and that desire and just wanted to do things for an outward show. And when that happened, God said, I'm picking somebody else. I'm looking for a man after my own heart who will do my will. And he said, Saul, thank you. 
you can go to a side, I'm going to find David. The church can only be the church if it's rooted in love. Let me say that again. The church can only be the church if it's rooted in love, if love is our motivation. First love God and then love others. In our vision statement, touching our world through Jesus one life at a time, it's through Jesus because Jesus is love and we seek to touch others in love and be motivated by that. How, when we look at our lives, how are we individually and how are we as a church, are we motivated by love. And I want us to think about that. We're going to come to the Lord's table and partake of the Lord's table today. And, and as we do that and prepare our hearts, let's be thinking about that. How are we living? Are we motivated by love? Now, there's also a reward, right? This is the good part, right? Verse 7, it says, To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve had free access to the tree of life and they could eat it and enjoy it and have life in its abundance and its fullness. But sadly, when they disobeyed the Lord and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, hey, you guys can't have access to this tree of life anymore. Kick them out of the garden. And that was it for eating from the tree of life. But the beautiful thing is it says here, those that are victorious, I'm going to give you to eat from the fruit of the tree of life. And later on in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, we see that tree of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. As we love one another, we, and as we live out the gospel, this is the ultimate fulfillment and reward in eternity where there's no more sorrow, sadness, division, sickness, pain, hurt, trials, all of that are gone and healed as we partake of this tree of life. And the tree of life is there to bring health and healing to us. And so let's listen to the Spirit. Keisha's gonna come and sing a song for us. And, and as she sings, I want us just to, in a very meditative way, just examine our hearts and lives and see where are we in love for God? Where are we in our relationship with Jesus? You know, if you look at one of, the, one, of the, one of the disciples, Peter, Peter failed the Lord tremendously. We all know, we, we, some of you know the story of Peter, and Peter betrayed Jesus. On the night when Jesus was crucified, the night that Jesus died, Peter totally forsook Jesus. But after Jesus rose again from the dead, and he met Peter, he met Peter on the shore one day, and Jesus made a meal for Peter. And as he was meeting Peter there, right, and Jesus had a plan for Peter's life because Jesus knew that he needed Peter to lead the church. He needed Peter to take a, a, a role, an important role in this next season for the church. And when Jesus came to Peter in trying to restore Peter to that role of leadership, what did Jesus ask Peter? Did he ask Peter, hold on, Peter, can we go over the notes, please? Let's check your theology here because... I taught you right, Peter. If you'd only listened to that, you wouldn't have forsaken me. Peter, let, let's go over some of these notes here again. Peter, what did I do these last three and a half years? How come you didn't get the message? Let me see your notes. Let me see. You, you didn't get it. Did Jesus go over all of those things, his, his teaching and his doctrine, and made sure Peter was square away with all the theology? No. He asked Peter a simple question, because this was the crux of the matter. 
He asked Peter a simple question because Jesus knew if this was in the right place, everything else would follow, no problem. And what was that question? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Let's listen to the Spirit. Because I think he's asking us, son, do you love me? Daughter, do you love me? Returning to the secret place, just an altar and a flame. Love is found here in our secret space. I hear your voice, I see your face. There's a table just for 